Hello, and welcome to the Power Your Advice podcast, brought to you by Advisorpedia. In this series, we interview innovators from across the financial services industry to help you understand who they are, what they do, and why that matters to you and your clients. And now, please join your host, Doug Heikinen. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. With the rapidly changing economic landscape, understanding how to enhance your firm's value has never been more crucial. Today, we've invited back John Langston, the founder and managing partner of Republic Capital Group, to further tackle this topic. Welcome back, John. Thank you, Doug. I'm, I'm glad to be here. appreciate the opportunity. Last time we spoke, I asked you what firms can do to increase their valuation. And when we were talking about it, I thought it was an entire conversation in and of itself. So how can firms structure their business to increase their valuation? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I always answer these types of questions uh, first by saying it is definitely situational. And as an advisor, I always love the opportunity to give very specific, unique advice. That isn't the opportunity here. So I'll I'll talk about some ideas, right? I just want to give that caveat because I I think it's crucial to understand that. Uh, A number of things. So first, um, there's a tremendous focus by investors today, obviously, around uh, your succession plan. So one of the most straightforward things you can do is, you know, add talent. Even if it's one advisor, in some cases, it can make the difference in the way uh, that that others outside investors, you know, from a valuation perspective, view the firm. Uh, Secondly, you know, everyone knows that growth is in very high demand. Anything you can do to create growth. And I would say specifically, if you have a repeatable model, also referred to sometimes as marketing, uh, but uh, a repeatable model to grow the business. I would say that is one of the most distinctive characteristics that as I look back over the last several years in, in the transactions has really driven value in a you know, market-based um, transaction. So I think that's critical. Um, I also think that uh, adding another location uh, has, has historically been um, a measurable way to increase value. Investors want to see diversity of, of geography. They like the reach uh, of the firm. Uh, and then, you know, finally, I would say, obviously, you know, profitability is key. And there are different ways uh, to get there. Um, probably the, the this biggest cornerstone of how profitability works is really tied to advisor compensation, uh, which which leads us into perhaps talking a bit more about how the overall firm uh, is structured. If someone's thinking of selling and wants to start the process, when do you advise they start looking to improve their valuation? I know it should be at the beginning when they start, but they're really not thinking about it then. Yeah, look, I, I think that's why these, these general ideas can be helpful. Um, but, but frankly, if a person were setting up a firm today and came to me, um, they have at that moment a, a great deal of latitude in how they structure the firm, at least at least uh, theoretically. So I would say, think about it from the moment you would hire the first employee and ask yourself, if I, and this gets into firm model, right? So, so quickly, uh, when I use the term platform, I'm referring to a firm that's developed really to serve as a platform for advisors who are mostly free agents, right? They, they join the platform, they take services. In our world today, 
um, that is that model tends to have the lowest uh, multiple applied to it. Now, if you were extraordinarily large, perhaps you have a very large absolute value, but in reality, it commands the lowest multiple or, or multiple on profitability. The, the firms that receive the highest multiples are the fully integrated, a fully complete firm, one brand, one service. So when you're structuring your firm, this is what I referred to in the previous comment, you need to be thinking about the decisions you're making around compensation, how integrated it is. If I acquire this firm, do they take my brand? Do they not? All of these decisions around firm model, firm structure, business delivery have a tremendous impact on valuation. And I've gotten involved in some discussions with firms where they were looking at their compensation plan and, you know, making changes and doing different things without really thinking through what are the enterprise valuation, um, you know, uh, what impact will these things have on that? So I think that the earlier you can focus on every aspect of your model delivery, the more powerful your your impact on the enterprise value uh, can be. When someone's looking at you, what are the most valued drivers that they're looking at? Yeah, I think it's the things I, I mentioned previously uh, in terms of you know generation you know G two uh, profitability growth a uh, repeatable system to attract client um, locations certainly size and scale um, have a big part of it, but I'd also um, encourage people to think about what there's been a shift in the market today, right? I'm hearing from uh, very large acquirers, investors, that they have as many as 70 opportunities for acquisitions in their pipeline. So there's more pressure today than ever, I think, to understand how to interact with the marketplace uh, around that process. Because ultimately, there is a, shall we say, call it a frustration or complexity factor here. Well, sometimes, um, an investor or acquirer will say, you know, this conversation, this interaction, this deal process with this group is just too complicated or too frustrating. I'm going to pass and go to one of my other 70 opportunities. So I think sellers need to be aware of that. That wasn't the case a year and a half ago. Um, there was much less supply. And so while the appetite remains very strong, capital remains very available, people need to understand there's an emotional dynamic shifting in the market and they just need to I think, treat the conversations differently and not feel as if, well, you know, I'm one of their 10 opportunities. It's we're like 70. And so there's a lot of competition. So just pay attention to the, the what I would call the complexity or frustration factor of, of how you interact with these, these groups. On the contrary, what are some of the biggest turnoffs a company can do when they're looking to be acquired? Yeah, I, I think um, maybe I was foreshadowing there, but I, I think, um, what I would refer to as posturing in a process where you're having conversations where you you take positions thinking that you are negotiating or things like that. We certainly always want to be very thoughtful and strategic in all of our communications in a, in a sale process. But I also strongly encourage clients to be certain that whatever you're sharing, you're saying is, is truthful, it's based on substance, and as authentic as possible. I'm not suggesting that you need to disclose every fact uh, about the firm in terms of, you know, every thought you're having. One thing that happens to sellers is their thoughts evolve. So sometimes very early on, they just share everything they're thinking and feeling. <laughs> a couple of months later, deeper in the process, they're thinking and feeling differently. And we have to go back and adjust some of that communication. So I would say, focus on being, you know, transparent, authentic, try to avoid making it more complex for those parties 
certainly don't posture or do things that are, are, are frustrating. And, you know, be certain that um, you have a, a good follow through dynamic. What I mean by that is a lot of these groups have a lot of conversations, but until you actually commit to uh, a letter of intent or an indication of interest in writing, they view you, um, they take the process, frankly, I think much less seriously. And so um, I think you have to think about those things and again, really guard against um, the a feeling that a, that a seller's market can create and we still are in a seller's market, but it's sometimes people take it too far. They're, they're a little cavalier and they're a little like, well, you know, if they don't want to invest, I'll find someone else. I think you just have to guard against those things and understand that that's a much greater the walkaway risk from these groups is greater than it's, than it's been historically, for sure. Speaking of the seller's market, who's buying right now? Is it the bigger firms gobbling up the smaller firms? And, and do you think that we're going to end up in a big firm environment at the end of the day? Oh, man, that's a good question. And there's a lot of nuance. So, so first, I'll say this. From our view, market activity is not down. We've been saying that the last seven or eight months now publicly. A lot of the recent data is absolutely validating that that transaction volume is not down. Um, there's perhaps a little bit of uh, moderation from bigger players for different reasons, right? Uh, the knee-jerk, simplistic, um, you know, analytical view as well. They're having trouble with capital and interest rates. That's way too simple. What I've heard directly from these groups that, that in some cases we've both sold to and represented buying is, hey, I've got a lot to integrate here. I've got a lot to manage. And so I'm going to be... Um, you know, slower. I have so many options. I'm being more selective. I want to make sure I pick the best firms that takes a little longer. So some of the large groups have slowed perhaps a little bit, but what we're seeing is a new wave of smaller firms, regional firms that are eight, 10, $12 billion are starting to make more acquisitions, which I think is great for the industry. Uh, and then where will we end up ultimately? Yes, I think ultimately, and this may already be the case, it is given the level of competition, it needs to be a regional or national firm uh, to really believe you have a chance to win an acquisition. Small deals between small players are still happening, but they're, they're, they're less common and they're much more situational, meaning someone knew each other already for 10 years. There's already a high degree of comfort or there was a unique set of circumstances that allowed that transaction to occur. Uh, but I, I would definitely say we're heading to a world where super regional firms and national players dominate the marketplace. The value they'll be able to deliver in terms of services to firms as well as the economics will just make it very difficult for the smaller firm to compete uh, from an M&A perspective. And is that good for the consumer with all these big firms buying the small people? I mean, I do think that they can be big, but act small because they can be so regional. Yeah, I, I tend to think it is simply because, um, I mean, and look, there, there's different, you know, interpretations of what's good for the customer. I would say from a value, economic value, it's good. Level of service. I, I say this as, as often as people will hear it. The expansion of services in wealth management is the most significant trend. If a firm is not aware of it, thinking about their level of service to clients, I think that that is perhaps a mistake. Um, so the, the number of services and depth of services to clients will expand with these with these consolidations. Uh, but but truthfully, we all live in this world, and, and I'm as guilty as anyone. We talk about some firms as if they're large. In the contracts of financial services, you know, we're still nowhere near where some of the large wirehouses are, those types of things. I mean, we are, we are so far from that. So I think there's an opportunity to 
increased scale, increased service to clients, increased value, um, and yet at the same time still retain a lot of culture, a lot of the things that we love with clients and, and not feel like, you know, a mega firm like, say, a Merrill Lynch, for example. All right, let's end on, we did a lot of how they can increase their valuation. Let's end on uh, two or three things that you recommend someone not do to affect their overall value. Okay. Yeah. So first I would say, um, be thoughtful about um, your, if you're nearing a transaction, say in the next year or two or three, be thoughtful about the over-investing in infrastructure. Sometimes I find people that have, they really want and need to do a transaction and they, their profitability is low because they're really in some ways overstaffed. Uh, It's rare, but it definitely happens. And they try to argue with the marketplace to say, hey, I've got all these people, I've invested, reinvested all my profits, I really am more profitable than I appear. And the marketplace responds by saying, yes, but we still have to navigate through all of this and grow your organization large enough to capture that profitability. So I would say be aware of that. And I think the reason it's a particularly, um, I think the word I want to use here is seductive seductive trap because it feels so smart. Well, I'm going to really get all these talented people. And by the way, it's admirable. We've got great talented people, we've got all this infrastructure, but because you were approaching a transaction, it was the wrong strategy. And frankly, sometimes, you know, these firms have not realized they were approaching. So I would just say, be aware of that and be thoughtful about that and try to, to calibrate your level of, of investment internal structure. And again, to the, to the extent that it impacts your profitability, if you do want to raise capital or do need to do a transaction. Uh, so I think that one's, that was pretty tricky. The other one is, you know, acquiring or hiring advisors at, at compensation models that really don't end up being additive to the value of your firm. Um, this one, again, is tricky, too, because you, you meet a very talented team or advisor and you're very attracted to hire them, as you should be. Um, but the reality is, you know, if they come in at the terms they're demanding, it, it really won't be accretive to your enterprise. Uh, and, and to me, that really requires an understanding of how the market valuation works. And, and here again, it's, this is challenging because you want good people. Um, but I would simply say you're, you're better off building the firm with a person that, or, or a team that you might consider perhaps less talented or less appealing, but ultimately there is an economic model that, that works for both parties, right? So I think those are a couple of things that, that while on the surface appear intelligent and most people would be encouraging on, ultimately might end up um, you know, it, it, it impacting your valuation negatively. John, I always learn something new when we talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us. And you're too kind, Doug. If you keep saying nice things, I'll keep coming back. So I appreciate uh, you giving me the time and the opportunity. All right. To learn more about Republic Capital Group, please visit republiccapgroup.com. Please visit us for timely updates on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, all at Advisorpedia. For everyone at Advisorpedia, our producer, Julia Smolin, our engineer, Tori Miller, and the Power Advice podcast team, this is Doug Heikinen.